Uh, it's wonderful to have you here this morning as we wrap up this series we've been in together. And next week we'll come together and kick off our July series. We always love doing a, a series in July. But today we're thrilled to have you here um, to hear what God's kind of trying to bring it all together for us. If you've missed any of the messages, I'd encourage you to go to LifePoint Elk Grove on the podcast and download the podcast if you don't, and subscribe it, I should say, if you don't already have that and uh, catch up with us. I'm going to have the ushers come down. We're going to look at some verses this morning we want you to have. We want you to be able to follow along and track with us. We want you to have a bulletin so you know what's happening here at LifePoint, what's coming up, and, and how you can be involved and be a part of what's taking place here. The seats in front of you have little white cards. We'd love for you to pull those out and jot down a prayer. We'd love to pray for you. Jot down a, 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 um, a praise. We, we'd love to hear the good things God's doing in your, in your life as well. And if you've never you know, filled one of those out and let us know you're worshiping with us, uh, we'd love for you to fill this, that out today if you're ready or comfortable and drop it at our Connection Hub uh, right through those doors and they'll give you a free gift. If you fill that out and you never have, uh, they'll, they'll give you a gift from us to you. Well, I think you know by now, if you've been with us through this series, that a couple thousand years ago, there's these group of people that love God. They're passionate for God. And, and, and they, were called, they were called Pharisees. And, and these Pharisees were committed to God and following God's laws, but over time, in that passion uh, for God and commitment to God, they became arrogant. They became self-righteous. And as a result of that, they lost all evidence of mercy, compassion, and grace towards others. They began to put practicing their religion over people. They began to put the traditions of their forefathers over tender, tenderheartedness towards others. They began to put the customs of their faith over compassion. And they began to put service towards God and of God over servanthood. And their puffed-up sense of superiority led to this ongoing conflict that they had with Jesus. And so in reality, their lives ended up accidentally opposing the very priorities, values, and heart of God. And we are talking about this because the reality is for you and I, we can find ourselves accidentally opposing the heart and the value and the values of God in some of the ways that we live our lives. So this series that we've been in, we've, we've been seeking and listening to the Holy Spirit, trying to gain some self-awareness. Not self-condemnation, but self-awareness. So each week, I hope you've been asking the question. I hope you'll do it one more time this week. And you could pray it right now. God, would you expose in me? Show me the ways I ac I'm accidentally being like a Pharisee and opposing your heart and your value and what matters to you. We've discovered that passionate pursuits can take on or have a dark side, right? We all have something we pursue passionately, and there's, that can be good, but it can also have a dark side. I, I was thinking about that, and, and raise your hand if you have a hobby. Raise your hand if you, anybody here has a hobby. Okay, so that's most of us, right? Hobbies, can have, hobbies are usually something we're passionate about, and we'll pour into that, and, 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 and it's wonderful. For example, I think about David, who, who, who loves working with his hands and building things made out of wood. David made this and, and, and many other items. This is something that he posted, and it's been seen around the world. He's had comments from people from multiple countries around the world asking how he did it and this and that, and, and he just does an incredible job. He's passionate about woodworking. 
and he does a great job of it. I think about somebody else like Brian who, who, who is passionate about cars, and Brian has the ability to build a car from scratch, to start with nothing and then build an actual car. He's passionate about that hobby. Well, if you have a hobby too, and, and you know you get passionate about it, well, what could, the dark, what could the dark side or dark sides of a hobby be? Well, one of the dark sides could be is that you invest so much of your money into your passion or your hobby that that could accidentally end up causing some, some financial stress or concern with you and your family, right? Uh, not only that, you could, you could be passionate about your hobby and it could cause not just money concerns, but it can cause relational concerns. You can get so wrapped up in your hobby that you forget your family and to spend time with your family or you don't spend enough time with your family. Now, just to be clear, I am not suggesting David or Brian are, are doing that. But we all have our passions and we can, we can get wrapped up in them and if we're not careful, they can have a dark side. And we've said the dark side of our spiritual passion for God is we can end up accidentally sending a message that, that some people are not worthy of receiving God's grace. That, that God's grace is available, but just not to everybody. And we saw that in the Pharisee who, made, who prayed the prayer God, in Luke 18, God, I thank you that I'm not like them, like those people. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that we all have a Luke 18 uh, 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 list. That we know, man, I'm really thankful I'm not like them. In fact, let's just have, we're wrapping up the series here. Let's just be honest with ourselves here. Raise your hand if you have a, I thank God I'm not like them list. Raise your hand. Okay, so thank you for being honest. The ones who didn't raise your hand, um, God bless you. I mean, Jesus and you. I mean, (laughs) I know I have a list. If we're honest. We have somebody or some group or something that we kind of like, man, I'm glad I'm not like them. And the danger of that is then compassion towards others gets drowned out. And demonstrating mercy to them, it, that gets crowded out. Because we get so focused on our dedication to God and following God's laws and rules and, and being pure and, and, and being holy and righteous which can be good things, but in that we lose, our, we lose touch with the heart of God. And the heart of God is always for people. Now, I imagine if you, if you have been tracking with us in this series at all, you have found yourself asking some different questions. Because the series can't ask or answer all the questions. In fact, I would suggest to you that what we've talked about actually raises more questions than it answers. And that's good because we want the Holy I'm praying the Holy Spirit's speaking to us and moving in us. And, and then you talk about those questions that you have in your life group or small group or with other brothers and sisters in Christ. But, but some of those questions are really difficult to answer and they're not easy answers and it's hard to figure out. For example, one of the questions that I know I've raised is how, to, and maybe this has been one of your questions. How, I get it, Pastor. I understand. Demonstrate compassion, mercy, and grace to others. How do I show? How do I demonstrate grace, compassion, and mercy towards others, especially to those on my them list, while at the same time not compromising? Not compromising God's values that I have in my life as a committed Jesus follower? That's a good question. Where do we turn? Without a doubt, Jesus is our best example. 
We learn in John chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus perfectly embodied both grace and truth. He was compassionate. He was full of grace. And in love, He spoke the truth. In fact, because Jesus loved people so much, He was actually willing to speak the truth to tell the truth to others, even if they didn't want to hear it, or even if it was hard to receive and hear. And if you know anything about Jesus' life, you know that some people responded to that truth that was spoken to them. They responded positively. And they changed. And they got right with God. Others, they weren't so receptive to the truth that was spoken to them. In fact, uh, one passage talks about how many walked away from Jesus after He spoke truth. And of course, we know others, they rejected the message so outright that they decided to to kill Jesus as a result of the truth He would speak. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says that all truth that we speak must come from a place and motivation of love. That we speak truth and love. Otherwise, we will be like the Pharisees because when they spoke, it ended up being from a place of being judgmental to condemn, to tear people down. But with Jesus, He spoke the truth to show people a better future, a better life, a life free from their sin, a life free from the bondage that they had been in. And So there are many times when our situations or our circumstances call us to do the most compassionate, gracious, loving thing we can do, right? Which is to speak the truth in love to that person, to that individual. To speak that truth in love. In love. In love. It must come from a place of love. And we don't have to water down God's truth. We don't have to compromise God's truth. We don't have to apologize for God's truth. So we speak the truth. And we do so graciously in love. Or we'll find ourselves in accidental Pharisee territory. Because with the Pharisees, they were trying to speak truth. But there was no graciousness. There was no love for others. In fact, the Pharisees, what we know about them is, is, man, they were deeply committed to the law of God and the commands of God. They knew the letter of the law, but they were clueless about the heart of the law. They should have been building their brothers and sisters up, being a light for them in the darkness. Instead, they tore others down, pushing them further into darkness through their merciless judgment and condemnation. As Matthew chapter 23 says of these Pharisees, they crushed people with unbearable religious demands and they never lifted a finger to ease the people's burden. You see, Jesus... He dealt with people's issues, their wrongdoings, their sin, if you will, throughout His ministry. Jesus spoke the truth of the Gospel and He would call the truth the truth and He would call out people's sin. But He always did so in love and with compassion. It's why so many people, it's why so many, quote, sinners, love Jesus and receive the truth He spoke. But the Pharisees, man... They wouldn't receive Jesus' truth when He would call out their sin or even call them sinners. In fact, we know the Pharisees resented being called sinful because they thought they were examples of moral perfection. 
See, the big difference between a Pharisee and a non-Pharisee is in our ability to see our own sinfulness. That I have come short of the glory of God. Everything we've been talking about, sharing love, grace, compassion, and mercy, even speaking that love, grace, compassion through truth, even verbalizing that, Everything we've been talking about up to this point has been talking about it in the context of you and I having relationships with people. Personal relationships with people. Talking about how we act, how we react to those around us here, even at church, as we demonstrate that love and grace and compassion. And another question that is raised for me is, yes, God, you've called me to speak truth and to demonstrate, do it graciously in love and compassion. How do I do that? Not just in the context of personal relationship, but how, God, do I show compassion and grace and mercy in the public arena, in the public sector, when speaking truth, God's truth, is is directed towards maybe policies or maybe governments or cities or whatever the case may be. What does that look like? Is that a question you've wrestled with? I know I've wrestled with it. Well, for starters, it's important for Christians that we do, in fact, speak up God's truth even in the public arena. That we would engage, that we would participate. In fact, one of the great privileges you and I have living in America, in the United States, is the freedom to express our thoughts and opinion. It's called what? The freedom of speech. We have freedom of speech. We have freedom of religion. We have the freedom to assemble like this and not worry that people are going to come through the door and take us off to jail. And yet many Christians through the centuries and even today have had to speak up God's truth even when it was illegal. So I just look at that and think, man, how easy is it for us that we have the freedom to express our Christian convictions? You know, as we engage in the public sector, we also have the opportunity and the freedom to vote, and Christians need to vote. And hopefully and prayerfully, when we're doing that, we're voting our values based on God's will and what God's Word says. So we need to be involved in the public discourse, participating re- locally, regionally, and nationally. And here's what's important. We've talked about communicating love and truth in relationship. When we start communicating truth verbally and love on a public level, not just personal, but on a public level, man, we got to double, triple, we got to quadruple our efforts to be wise with our words. Wouldn't you agree with that? To be wise in the way we use our words. Now, the question, of course, arises what does it mean to be wise with our words? Uh, scripture tells us in Colossians chapter 4, it says this. Let your speech always be, I want to say it together, let your speech always be what? Be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I love what John Piper said of this verse, his kind of interpretation of this. He said this, he said, I take this to mean that what we say about Christ and about the Christian life should be made as appetizing as possible. When food is not salted, it tastes, its taste is bland. People don't want to eat it. It's unappetizing. And our speech isn't supposed to be like that. In other words, what he's saying is, what Colossians is saying is, there's different ways to say the same thing. 
Haven't you figured that out when it comes to communicating with friends, with family, with kids? Haven't you figured that out? There's different ways to say the same thing. I've discovered in my own life, and my wife has reminded me often that I could have said something to her better. Because there are times when I want to speak truth to my wife, and i got to tell you, uh, uh, spouses love when their spouse preaches truth into their spouse. Oh, wait, no, they don't. And when I find myself in that phase, and Heather comes back to me and says, you know, you could have done that a little better, a little different. You all know you've been in circumstances and situations where you walked away and go, that was stupid. Why did I say it that way? Why did I say it that way? I could have said that. So you and I can represent Christ in the Christian life in a gracious way. Or we can present Christ with our words in a way that people, that institutions, communities, governments will shut down and shut you down. The book of Proverbs, I would encourage you to read it through this lens one time. It's full of wisdom about being wise in our speech. Uh, Colossians language being gracious in our speech. Proverbs 15, just give you a couple examples. Proverbs 15 says this, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare, or harsh words stir up anger. Be wise with our words that we're gentle and not harsh. Proverbs 10 verse 12 says, hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. And I just began to think, can you imagine... Can you imagine if we as Christians would engage more in the public discourse and the public sector and the public conversations and if we did so communicating God's truth and doing so with graciousness and mercy and compassion that we would communicate God's truth, God's values and do it from a place of love that we would represent the truth of God in such a way as Colossians, as John Piper said, that, that people would want to eat it. That God's truth would be appetizing. Imagine being salt like that. In other words, love has to be greater than hate. Love has to be greater than hate, which is why it is so important to work extra hard, double, triple, quadruply hard to communicate God's truth in loving, gracious in merciful ways, while standing firm communicating God's values. To do it graciously. And when we do so, whether in personal relationships, whether in the public sector, will people disagree with our convictions? What's the answer? Absolutely. Will they call us names and give us labels that are totally untrue? What's the answer? Of course. Will people assume that we are judging them? And that, that we, they will assume, one of, they'll use a word that we hate them. Of course so. Even when we know that it's not true. Truth and love can be spoken. It can be spoken. And Jesus modeled that. He spoke truth and love. And Jesus also understood that it's not just about speaking truth, it's about demonstrating truth and love. And the way you do that is by serving others. 
In fact, I would suggest to you that the more you and I speak God's truth and love in our personal relationships and in, our, in the public arena, the more we speak God's truth, the more we have to, to use the imagery of Jesus and washing his disciples' feet, the more we speak truth, the more we have to grab the towel, get down on our knees, and wash people's feet to serve others. Otherwise, the words we speak will get lost and will be seen as hate. And love is always greater than hate. The best way for us to do this is to humble ourselves, to serve others, to demonstrate truth with words, but also with our actions in humility. Uh, This year I've had a chance to go to Israel. And when I was in Israel... I had the privilege to go into Bethlehem, which is, uh, Bethlehem is actually um, a Palestinian territory. So everybody who lives there is Palestinian. And within the Palestinian population in Bethlehem, over 90% of the population are Muslims. Less than 10% are Christians. And there in Bethlehem, they have a, a Bethlehem Bible College. And, and we had the privilege to sit with the founder and the original president, Bashar Awad, a Palestinian Christian. And he shared the story of Bethlehem Bible College and how Christians, Palestinian Christians, are, are, are serving God and speaking the truth of God to the 90% Muslims in their community. And he talked all about what that looks like and how we speak God's truth boldly with conviction, without fear, courageously, and they speak God's truth. And he said, but we don't just speak. We also show God's truth by serving people. And he shared what they do, and I just find it incredibly amazing. He said, we are purposeful to think and figure out ways that we can serve our Muslim neighbors. At 90%, it's pretty much everybody. And so after, every year after Ramadan, they, the Christians, a small community of Christians gather together and they feed all of the Muslims as they're coming off of Ramadan, anybody who's willing to be fed. At, at, at holidays and festivals, they throw, the Christians, Palestinians throw parties for the Muslims. And, and, and they throw parties and they give gifts at, at all the various holidays. You see, they're doing whatever they can to speak the truth, and to demonstrate the truth by serving. It's incredible to watch what God's doing with that and how God's using that to transform lives. And some of these Christians are raised up, go to Bethlehem Bible College, and then those who can get out of the area or get out of that territory, that's a whole another topic, they go out and they preach Jesus Christ. In humility, we can serve And we can demonstrate that love is greater than hate by serving others. Well, God saw a particular Pharisee. And as He looked down on this Pharisee, He saw this Pharisee who lost sight of love, lost sight of humility. And for him, the reality is hate was greater than love. He was a Pharisee who believed he loved God. 
was a Pharisee who believed that he was serving God. And so Jesus confronted this Pharisee. He called out his pride and caused this Pharisee uh, to get to a place where he could understand God and God's heart because the Pharisee had missed God's heart and God's values and God's priority for other people. And in this story, this is how we kind of wrap up this series of a Pharisee who is as far from God as you can imagine, even though he thinks he was dialed in with God. We see the transforming power of God, even to the most passionate Pharisee. And it's a story that God reminds us that he wants to truly transform all of us, that we would become grace dispensers to others rather than life takers, that we dispense the truth of God, the love of God, the compassion of God, and the mercy of God, grace dispensers rather than life takers. This Pharisee, according to Acts chapter 23, was brought up in the city of Jerusalem. And he studied under a particular Pharisee named Gamaliel. He was trained in all the law of his ancestors. And he was as zealous for God or passionate for God as anyone. And when, you, when I read that, I go, well, who's this Gamaliel? Well, Gamaliel was a, was a person who, who, that he studied under who was, Acts 5 tells us that he was a Pharisee and he was held in honor by all the people. He was the president of the Sanhedrin, which was kind of be like the leader of our Supreme Court. Gamaliel is actually probably the most quoted Jewish thinker of all time. According to one commentator, this I thought found was very interesting. Gamaliel authored countless reforms for the improvement of society, including regulations designed to protect the rights of women back in a time where women had little to no rights. The Pharisee we're looking at this morning received his training, his education from this Pharisee Gamaliel. And this Pharisee, or this rabbi, if you were, Gamaliel, anybody who had a, a, a rabbi, you would follow them, just like Jesus' disciples followed him. And so this Pharisee was a disciple of Gamaliel, which means he stayed at the rabbi's side. He stayed at Gamaliel's side, which means this. It's very possible that this Pharisee we're looking at and going to talk about in a moment, it's very possible that he would have seen Jesus in the flesh. It's very possible that he would have witnessed the crucifixion. That he would have seen Peter and John flogged in, in Acts chapter 4. That he would have been at the trial of, uh, of Stephen. And in Acts chapter 8, we know for a fact that he was there present at the killing of Stephen when he was executed. Because he was mentored and trained by the most famous of all Pharisees, Saul was on the fast track to becoming one of the most highly esteemed, most powerful men in the country in his religion. That's who we're talking about, this guy named Saul. Or as we oftentimes know him as, what do we know him as? Paul. And Paul went on to write most of our New Testament. And this person, Saul, or Paul, was convinced that Christians were the enemy of God. And so with a completely clean conscience, he went out and took the role of religious persecutor. So we learn in Acts chapter 8 that he was destroying the church. He was going from house to house and dragging people out of their houses and dragging them to jail. In Acts 9, it tells us he was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Not only would he drag them out of their homes, throw them into prison, but in Acts 26, it says 
that Saul or Paul, he would cast his vote to have them executed. And he did so on more than one occasion. And it's important that we understand this individual so that we don't be like him. Saul or Paul believed that he was serving God. Believed he was loving God. Believed he was fulfilling the law of God. His passion for God was in reality hatred towards others. He lost sight of love. Listen to how he described himself in Acts chapter 26, verse 11. In fact, I want to say these two words out loud together. It says this, Acts 26, verse 11, in what? Let's say these two words together. In what? In in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In my hatred, I persecuted the Christians. He forgot the principle that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, that love is greater than hate. Love is greater than hate. Saul was misled on what it meant to serve and follow God. He hated Jesus and his followers so much that in the name of God, he tried to eradicate the movement. You see, Saul was committed. He was passionate. He was committed and compassionate for the law of God, but he was missing out on a relationship with God, which was why he missed out on the heart of God, the heart of compassion for other people. But that all changed one day, and that's what I'd like to look at in our final minutes together. Flip over real quickly to Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, Saul or Paul met Jesus. And in his obsession to stamp out the Christian message, he was traveling to Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem to Damascus, about 135 miles away. And in Acts 9, verse 3, it says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, and this is so interesting, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul must have thought to himself, what do you mean persecute a me? I thought I was persecuting an it, a thing, a movement. Verse 5, who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and I'm Jesus, a person whom you're persecuting. See, don't miss the implication. Jesus was saying, what you do to others, what you do to my followers, you're actually doing to me. Verse 6, now get up, go to the city, and I'll tell you what you must do. So Saul gets up and he realizes he can, see, he can no longer see. He's completely blinded. And so he's led into the city of Damascus by those with him. And for three days, Saul sat in someone's house, unable to see, completely blind. So Saul began to pray. Because all of a sudden, his entire life, his entire worldview on what it meant to follow God was thrown upside down. In that time, God humbled Saul. And in his humility, in that humility, Saul finally came to a place where he could surrender and submit to God. So Ananias comes to him, knowing God knowing that Saul's heart had been changed in those three days of blindness. In Acts 9, verse 17, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And what strikes me about this story is that concept of blindness. As a Pharisee, Saul was blind to the heart of God. 
Sure, he could physically see, but he was blinded to love. He was choosing hate over love. He didn't recognize that love was greater than hate. So God decided to physically blind him in the hopes that he would finally see. And it was in Saul's blindness that the eyes of his heart were opened. He had no idea if he would ever see again. But he had changed on the inside because he had experienced Jesus. And in experiencing Jesus, he finally saw what Jesus saw. A heart of love and grace and compassion for others. And now that the eyes of Saul were open again, what had happened? The eyes of his heart are open. The scales fell from his physical eyes. I think it's cool imagery. Scales actually fell from his eyes and he could see again. Once this Pharisee had an encounter with Jesus, his life was transformed. And I hope as we walk away from this series, one of the things that happens to you is that the more and more and more you would truly encounter Jesus, that you will have an encounter with Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. The more you have that encounter with Jesus, the more you will have the ability to love like Jesus loved. The more you will have the ability to love like Jesus loved in the words that he spoke and in the way that he served others. So my hope and my prayer for you as we wrap up the series is that you would experience Jesus that you truly have your Damascus Road experience, that the scales would fall from your eyes in any of the ways in which you've been an accidental Pharisee, that you've been blinded to the heart of God. Again, not self-condemnation, but self-awareness as God opens your heart up to seeing what He sees. Having a genuine relationship with Jesus will fill our hearts with great compassion and mercy for all, including the weak, the struggling, the failing, the people on our thank God I'm not like them list. Paul was transformed by Jesus. You can be transformed as well. Paul's transforming God. Use him to change the world. And if you will have an encounter with Jesus, if you will give your life to Jesus, surrender and submit to Jesus, God can use you to change the world because you can demonstrate hate, love through your words. And you can demonstrate love through your actions and show the world finally to where they understand it that it's seasoned with salt that love is greater than hate. A guy who hated was transformed by Jesus. Will you let Jesus transform you?